Okay, well, it's, I mean, 10 now. But, <laughs> yeah, I know I saw that puppy, that, that, that picture, though, and I had to give myself a giggle. <laughs> Here we go. All right, we are back on the air, as promised, for our weekly chat with Jason Spies, and it's brought to you by Highmark Federal Credit Union here in Belfouche. And here he is. Jason, how are you today? Excellent. And how are you doing on this festive Friday, gorgeous Friday? Heard you guys are getting a little bit of rain or got some rain down there, huh? We got, yeah, we got some rain, a little bit of hail, I think. There was some high winds. That was, it was actually kind of scary sounding last night. Well, we had like Florida weather where it was in Fargo, it was nice and, you know, 30 miles away they had a tornado, which was kind of weird, you know. It's it's different, but that's a, that's how she goes, but uh, a lot of things happening in the world of energy. Boy, I tell you, the pipelines are in trouble. There's a big problem there with, uh, you know, last year, yeah. last year we had the conversation before the whole corona thing, and I made the prediction that, you know, the way that things are going, the shift to small business and the way that a lot of the duopolies and oligopolies are happening with the bigger companies that you're starting to see the energy industry really whittle down to about a half a dozen to 10 companies that control 80% of the market out there. And a lot of people in the energy industry really poo-pooed me on that and this and that. And I thought it was going to be a 16-year-old girl and and her uh, mission to go across the, the world telling everybody that uh, fossil fuels are you know killing her generation, uh, Greta Thunberg, where she was... Uh, taking on the oil and gas industry and becoming the keynote speaker apparently at the you know the the, the global climate summit. So I mean she she had an audience and she was positioned as an authority and she's not an expert. She's not a scientist. She's a 16 year old girl and she was winning. Banks were starting to say, okay, we got to really shift our financing for oil and gas companies. So they started making them become uh, environmentally, government, uh, socially certified. It's called ESG, Equator Principles. Wells Fargo was, not, was even denying loans because people were affiliated with oil and gas and coal, fossil fuels. So this, this crash course to end fossil fuels was really ramping up before the corona. Well, then Russia and Saudi Arabia had some problems uh, with, with OPEC, and so they got into their kerfuffle. And then the coronavirus happened, and boom, the oil and gas industry got hit hard, hard. I mean, I talked to people out there that went down 90 to 95% in receivables. Okay, and let me just explain how that works. So let's say you're used to getting $10,000 a month. Well, the next month, you only get 500 bucks. You really have to figure out a new way to do your business, especially if you need like $5,000 to operate your business. Well, you can't continue on at that rate. Well, that's what happened in the oil and gas industry is that like literally the spigot turned off of business and people just didn't pay. And so there was this huge just halt in the industry. So when everybody went and applied for all the little PPP and all these other things happening, um, it you know, kicked the can a little bit. There was a lot of businesses that got bailed out through the PPP money. There was a lot of businesses that got bailed out through the different special programs that came through the CARES Act. Uh, I think it was like, what, three, four, five, seven trillion dollars I lost track. 
of money that they printed over the past few months. And a lot of energy companies and energy service companies through a roundabout way did get some assistance and, and they kind of got the can kicked a little bit. This latest blow that happened because of the environmental activism, the climate activists, because I, I honestly, I'm done calling the environmental movement environmentalism and that sort of thing. They're climate activists. This is a political thing. This is an extreme. The energy industry has been decarbonizing for 150 years. They started weaning off of hay and wood, and then they got people off of oil to get them on a kerosene. I'm, I'm sorry, off of whales. I mean, we, we almost extinct the whales because we needed heat and lights in our house. Well, fossil fuels and kerosene got us off that. And then suburban America happened, and we needed everybody to live there. We needed plumbing, and we needed siding, and we needed shingles, and we needed all these different things happening. So th there was a whole world built on fossil fuels. And whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. It already happened over 100 years. So this crash course to get us off fossil fuels is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And the pipelines, the De Dakota Access Pipeline, the Keystone XL Pipeline, the Atlantic Pipeline out on the East Coast, shutting these down, that's incredible to me. They, we might get to my prediction of six to ten companies controlling 90% of the oil and gas industry by the end of the year. And when I say companies, I mean Saudi Arabia is a company, China is a company. You know, there are certain countries that are actually like traded on the uh, public market. They, they, have, they have a different name, but essentially it's a, it's a uh, state-run corporation or a state-run company. So the pipelines, that was a big blow because you're talking about a lot of welders, you're talking about a lot of pipe fitters. You're talking about a lot of different trades that are going to suffer here. And a lot of different construction companies, dirt hauling companies, a lot of porta potty companies. You know, I mean, the, the supply chain on something like this is absolutely incredible. So this is a very, this is beyond a blow to the oil and gas industry. This goes beyond a blow to that. It, it's, it's throughout the entire industry. Because at the end of the day, we have to remember, pipelines are critical infrastructure, okay? Pipelines are critical infrastructure. And I'm looking, and I've talked for five and a half straight minutes, and I apologize. But they are considered by the federal government critical infrastructure. So that's a little bit shocking that they, they shut down these pipes so quickly uh, based on just that, uh, the other argument, and this is where I'll let you jump in because you are the host and I appreciate the time that you've let me have come on here, but I did want to kind of give a little bit of context here because these are complex issues. And I, the thing that you know me, I don't like to get into sound bites. I don't, I, I try to have some civil discourse and the fact that, you know, we've been going off of fossil fuels, like I said, hay and then wood and then whales and then kerosene and then coal and crude oil. And now we're into natural gas. Our carbon molecules have been decreasing naturally since the days of Abraham Lincoln. We've been doing that long before the Sierra Club came along. So this is to me, I'm not going to get excited in the end of the world chicken little stuff here because we've been doing just fine. Now, 
this, this the pipelines being shut down though is is a very interesting thing because what's going to end up happening now is the farmers are going to get upset because the farmers need to get their grain to the market. The farmers need to get their product out because as soon as they take it out of the field, there's an expiration date. Now, it might be a year, it might be two years, but there is an expiration date. So what happened the last time there was pipeline issues is that uh, Burlington Northern Railroad, I forget what they are, BNSF now, they control pretty much most of the uh, uh, rail across the United States. They took oil first because oil would pay more money. Whatever their logic is, I don't know. I'm sure it's money talks, but I, I don't want to get into that. But all I do know is the farmers got really upset back in 2015 because they were now at the end of the line. So you shut down the pipelines, you're going to disrupt the, the, the entire supply chain of trades, the welders, the pipe fitters, the porta potty people, the truckers. Okay, now you're going to upset the rail. So now you're going you're, you're gonna to create a different marketplace in the rail. So now the farmers have got to figure things out. Okay, now, keep, keep with me here, you're going to add more trucks on the road. So now you're going to have more semis on the road. Where is the environmental gain here? There's none. There's none. Right. You're, you're making the... Oh, go ahead. I have a question to add to this, actually, because uh, my husband had said something about spills. Uh, you know, versus versus uh, the the pipes having issues. In do you do you by any chance know statistically if if it is more if it happens more often to have spills like say from on a railroad or like on a boat when they're trying to transport this above ground versus through the new pipeline that was just put in that is you know they have all that technology to let you know as soon as there's a leak so they can get it fixed right away versus having an entire thing tip over and. That's, that's kind of another part of the perspective I was looking at that. I mean, is, is that, am I off base here? Um, well, there's a little bit more to it than that, too, because um, the, the, the blanket answer is that pipelines are the safest. It's the, it's the mo pipelines are the most environmental uh, friendly. Pipelines are the safest. That is the very basic uh, blanket answer. Now, there's a lot of reasons why. There's a lot of complexities why. Uh, let's talk about the spills, for example. Okay, so if you have a spill on a rail car or you have a spill on a truck, for example, let's start with the truck. Uh, if you've got a spill on a truck, how did that happen? Was it, was it that it was a jackknife or was it because of an accident or what was the reason for that? Well, the minute that happens, you now have created a problem on the road. So now you have emergency vehicles that are going to be involved, and so you've got that additional pollution and that additional services and that additional resources being there. Okay, did they actually crash into something? So do you have a, a air conditioning coolant on the, on the road now? Do you got you know, different kinds of glycol or different types of antifreeze or, you know, or is there now crude oil from the truck that, you know, motor oil that's going to be having to clean up. So you even have those little idiosyncrasy things that I know are not discussed when they decide to just at the stroke of a pen blanket something like that. Uh, on, on the rail car issue, you know, you, there has been some explosions that have happened in the past. So you have that whole fear now with the explosion aspects. Generally, when the pipelines spill, they're in rural areas. They're on somebody's private farmland, 
And it's generally handled between the farmer and the oil company or the service company or whoever is in charge of the minerals and that sort of thing. And they happen a lot, a lot of times that way if there is a problem. As soon as you start taking away from the pipelines, now you're transporting through the public domain. And that right there creates an issue of safety. That right there creates more of an environmental issue. Um, to answer, so I, I did not answer your question. I understand that because I do not know the answer. But what I do know is that the blanket statement is that pipelines are the safest and the most environmental friendly. Well, that was kind of what I was getting at anyway, because that's, that's the picture that I have of it in my head. Well, and then the, another thing that he'd mentioned, too, is that, you know, for example, if they quit, if they quit uh, basically depressure, all that oil is there, and it, it's just going to continue building pressure. Where does it go if we're not doing anything with it? into the land, right? Am I, am yeah, I'm not sure. To me, to me, this is honestly what's going on. It's a little bit more evidenced of the managed marketplace that we're getting into is, is they're kind of almost like crashing all the different industries and then, you know, building them back with the main companies. I mean, honestly, you take a look at pretty much any industry out there and it's controlled by a handful of companies, whether it's Roses or yeah. it's restaurants or, I mean, even mobile homes, Mobile homes, basically, you have three companies that control 95% of the mobile home industry, for crying out loud. So the energy industry, again, my love for the oil and gas industry is the capitalism. It's the, it's, it's, it's the sheer capitalism, not the dirty word capitalism, not the crony capitalism, not the managed marketplace capitalism. The fact that you can have some Joe... Rig, you know, Joe Roughneck working on a rig, working on a well, and notices, hey, I can make that tube vibrate twice as fast, and I can save the company 20% of money if I do that. Well, then Joe, Joe, you know, Roustabout goes in, or what's his name? Joe Roughneck. There we go. Joe Roughneck meets with his company. His company says, absolutely, let's get it done. All of a sudden, Joe Roughneck's the president of his own company, and in a few years, He's making a very good living and, and is doing very well for himself, and he's empowered himself. He's given back to the community. And that's the thing that I, I've always been attracted to with, with the oil and gas industry. I can't say the energy industry because the solar and wind en industry is so subsidized that the minute you take the subsidies away, it'll go away. And every other industry is so, like, if you and I wanted to go and, say, cure cancer, we couldn't. We couldn't because somebody owns that DNA. Somebody owns the patent, the, the right to that. And so if you and I wanted to go try to you know, cure liver cancer, we'd get sued. The oil and gas industry is like one of the last industries that I've seen out there that still allows capitalism to exist in its purest form, which is make money and then give back to the community. And honest to God, they're the only ones still giving back to the community. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And they do it without tax credits. They do it without, they don't care. They, they'll take them, but they understand that if they don't give back to their community, no one else is going to. So it's, it's, it's a remarkable uh, relationship that oil and gas industry has had with communities over, over the years. And, I, and, and I'm afraid that that's changing right now before our eyes. And that's what we're talking about this week on The Crude Life is kind of, is there a shift happening in oil and gas? You know, like, 
is it going to become ag, ag 2.0 to where you got the government telling you to grow corn, soy, or wheat? You know, I mean, take a look around. There's sunflowers, in, in, at least in our neck of the woods. But you, you take a look around, and farmers, they barely get to choose what they get to grow. Depends on, what, you know, what, what the subsidy of the year is. Soybeans, that's another one. Um, so anyway, there's, there's another five-minute rant for you. I feel like I feel like uh, we need we, we simply needed more time for this discussion. I've got so many questions regarding this specific situation because uh, I've I've had all these questions on my brain since I first read that they'd shut it down. Well, and again, it 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 really is a, a real blow to the industry for a lot of reasons, and it goes well beyond what the industry uh, or what the the papers are reporting and what you right. know the talk shows are reporting. Like I said, you, you're going to see trade industries suffer. You're going to see cafes suffering. You're going to see uh, all kinds of this. This is a lot more to it. All the way down. Oh, totally, absolutely. And just the little examples I gave you, you know, and and even the ripple into the rail. So you're, I mean, in at you know this fall, farmers, farmers are going to get upset this fall. Why? Because rail is being dominated by crude oil. It needs to get out of here. Right, as if they needed anything else to add to their plate of worries. Okay, and the, the other thing people need to remember is, and we'll wrap up after this, but in 2015, one of the theses and one of the stories that we did uncover was it was a downturn, but the Bakken was still putting out a million barrels a day. So even in $30, $40 oil, there was a select handful of companies that were doing just fine, and they were putting out a million barrels a day, okay? And so production was increasing. I just got the, the report last week. 2009, I believe, broke records again. It was another record year for production. And there was fewer rigs. So there is automation happening. There is a lot of change that's happening. So there, the oil is still pumping is what I'm getting at. And we're becoming more efficient. But the workers are getting less and less because there's more automation happening. So... That keep that in mind too. That a lot of that is going on. Well, lots of stuff to think about. Oh, definitely, totally. definitely, everyone needs to check out those interviews and stuff that he's got coming up because I'm sure there's going to be lots of, as if there isn't always intriguing information. And you can, of course, go to thecrudelife.com where we've got all the different industries. Oh, big victory by the Davis Refinery. Minor source, they have been ruled by the uh, North Dakota Supreme Court. Just to give you an example of what a minor source is, is that they're about the same polluter now as a restaurant. So this big refinery has done so much environmental technology and innovation that they're basically the same cl uh, classification as a restaurant now because they've been, Yeah, I know. That's, a, that's what's absolutely amazing. So that'll be on this weekend's Crude Life and... If you'd like, you can, of course, access all of our interviews at thecrudelife.com. And uh, let's see what time we got. Holy smokes, we are way over. So you better mention the sponsor, and I better get running. Huh. All right. Well, it was, it was awesome talking with you, Jason. Thank you so much. We'll catch you next week. Sounds good.